This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. I've been preparing for this all my life. Here's Porter on hard and taking him to school. What a great play by Jay Shante. KJ Martin climbed Bobon Mountain. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. And you've seen tonight that we, we fought together, we stayed together, and it's about damn time, man. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What is up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. I don't bleed 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and partner at Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, as well as at Apollo HO. You and joining us today is Rockets legend, Rockets broadcaster, Mr. Matt Bullard. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, after a, a real tough season in the NBA uh, and some great playoffs going on so far, I'm uh, enjoying uh, some some free time and uh, being able to just watch some NBA basketball without too much pressure. And we've had some great NBA playoffs, but and we're going to get into some really great topics here today, Matt. We're going to talk about you know your your time that you've spent with Bill Worrell. We're going to talk about the Rockets' young core, the the future outlook for this team. But Matt, before we sat down uh, to hit the record button, you kind of dropped a bit of a bombshell on me that you're not going to be returning as the color analyst for the Rockets' broadcast for AT&T Sportsnet. What happened there? Well, they called me just a couple days ago and uh, and said that they were not going to be renewing my contract, and uh, it was uh, it was a big surprise to me. Uh, I felt like uh, you know the work that we did this year on AT&T Sportsnet in the middle of a pandemic, uh, you know, calling games off of monitors and not being able to travel and be with the team. I felt like you know the product that we put out this year was uh, some of our best work, and I was looking forward to you know, getting right back at it next season. But they called and said that uh, they will not be renewing my contract, so I won't be back on AT&T Sportsnet next season. I mean, absolutely unprecedented times. And, you know, I think everybody really thoroughly enjoyed the Rockets. Were you given a reason as to why? No, I was given no reason, and uh, I didn't ask. Would you have come back? Absolutely. Uh, You know, I've been doing Rockets TV for, uh, well, 16 years on as color analysts, but also two years before that on the pre and post game show. And, and, uh, you know, the Rockets are my team. I've spent 25 years in the Rockets organization as a player and broadcaster. And, you know, I bleed Rockets red. So I absolutely was expecting to come back next season and, and continue, uh, you know, bringing Rockets fans, uh, Rockets basketball. You know, it's one of the things that I really enjoy about uh, living here in Houston is, is being able to uh, interact with all the great Rockets fans, uh, you know, in person is always good. But we've we've got a great Rockets Twitter community, and and uh, you know that's uh, something that I really enjoy is being able to bring Rockets basketball to the Rockets fans. Matt, I just I can't I can't wrap my head around this. So you you really weren't given a sing a single reason as to why. No, it was a very short conversation, and there was there was no reason given. That it just. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I mean, first we lose, we lose Bill and you know, he's been 
you know, largely the iconic voice for the Rockets. And, you know, now if you're not coming back to the broadcast, it's I, I'm not ready for I'm not ready for all this change. That's, you know, I, it's not going to be the same without you there. Well, I appreciate that, Jackson. And, uh, you know, I uh, appreciate that sentiment. But I look at this as an opportunity for me to uh, to start writing a new chapter in my basketball career. You know, I was a player for 11 years in the NBA and then I was a broadcaster for 18 years. And now it's my opportunity to join an NBA franchise and get into into management or coaching. And, uh, you know, I've been talking with uh, several teams around the NBA already having conversations about uh, joining their organizations uh, in a in a management role, so uh, and one team as a as a in a coaching role. So to me, this is an opportunity for me to uh, you know to spread my wings and um, and write another chapter in my in my career. I mean, you know, so so this, so I take this to mean you you definitely still want to be involved in the NBA landscape, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, I I've got so much knowledge, you know, and experience, and uh, and I've been on the on the front lines of the cutting edge of the modernization of NBA basketball, you know, being around the Rockets when Daryl Morey was, uh, was, was showing all of us about the, the analytics and the, the, you know, the most effective shots on the floor and, and how, to, how to play NBA basketball in a new way with pace and space. And so, uh, you know, being on the cutting edge and learning all of that as it was being developed and then presenting it on TV to the Rockets fans, that's some knowledge that a lot of NBA teams find very valuable and, uh, and so the, some of the conversations I've had with those teams already have been uh, been very productive. I mean, it, it makes a, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you have a, you know an incredibly thorough understanding of the game, both as you've already mentioned analytically, you know, embracing you know the new movement that the NBA has taken, but then also the actual experience as a player, which lends itself to the understanding of like the inner workings of locker rooms and chemistry, and really being able to merge those two ideologies, right? Yeah, that's the whole key is uh, is I know what it feels like to be a player. I know what it feels like to come into work every single day. I know what it feels like to try to perform at your best every single game. I know the ins and outs of a championship locker room. I've also been on some teams that weren't championship caliber teams, and I know what went wrong. And of course, I've been analyzing the Rockets for the last 18 years on TV. So I know, uh, you know, what went right for the Rockets over the, the past uh, generation or two. And uh, and I also know what went wrong. And so that sort of knowledge as a player, but also having the analytics to, you know, because basically analytics are facts. You know, like when you say uh, somebody's effective field goal percentage is 59 percent, that's a fact. You know, we can we can look back at all the shots and count them up and say, yeah, that's that's true. And so what you want to try to do is use those facts, those analytics to inform your decisions on what you're trying to do with your team. You know, what kind of player you're trying to fit onto your roster, uh, how his game will fit with the the team that you already have, how his personality will fit with the guys you have, but also, you know, as a coach, how are you using those analytics to be able to get and create the most effective shots on the floor? You want to be as effective and efficient as possible. And so, uh, you know, having – those two experiences for me is uh, I'm finding is very valuable around the NBA. And, and, you know, there are some guys who are already, uh, you know, paved this pathway. Uh, Shane Battier is doing this job uh, with the Miami heat and Brent Berry is doing a similar thing with the San Antonio Spurs. And, and uh, you remember the Chuck wagon, Chuck Hayes for the Houston Rockets. You know, he's, he's a guy who played in the Daryl Morey era for the Rockets. And now he's in the front office and, and I actually talked with Chuck the other day and, uh, you know, had a good conversation with him and, 
it was good catching up with the chuck wagon so uh you know the fact that i won't be back on rockets tv next year it's it's sad but it also opens a, a big door for me to uh to expand and explore and and uh, do something different in my career well <sighs> No, Matt, I'm not ready for you to leave. I'm not ready for you to not be a part of the Rockets. And you, you talk about, you know, some of Rockets fan favorites, Battier, Chuck, the Chuckster, the Chuck Wagon. I mean, you know, I think a, a front office gig like those guys would, would fit you so well for somebody, again, you know, talking about, you know, just your, your general knowledge of the game and how well you understand things. And I mean, honestly, you'd be a great fit on Rafael Stone's team, I think, if he would have you. Well, uh, that's that's a that's an option. I hope that that turns out. You know, I hope that I can stay in Houston. I've been in Houston since 1990. I love the city. I love the people of Houston, uh, and so I would love to, a chance to stay with the Houston Rockets uh, if that's an opportunity. And and uh, if that is uh, if that does happen, uh, Locked On Rockets will be the first people to 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 know about that. <laughs> Man, I mean, that's uh, uh, Matt. That's it's a lot to process, but. I feel safe in in saying that you have mine and and all Rockets fans everywhere, you know, full support in in continuing your journey in the NBA and, and potentially, fingers crossed, remaining an integral part uh, of the Houston Rockets franchise. You know, if that if that is something that might you know possibly coalesce. Yeah, well, I th- uh, thanks, Jackson. I appreciate that. I've always felt the love from Rockets fans you know, all the way back when I was playing to. You know, when I was broadcasting, I've always felt that love from from everyone, and and I really appreciate that. So, so thank you, Matt. We've we still definitely want to talk about. You know, I I, I know this was the the news that you kind of dropped on me, and you know, I, I I'm still I'm still kind of processing it, but we definitely still need to talk about. Bill Worrell, the time that you've spent with him, you know, some of the takeaways that we have about the young core, Steven Silas, all of that. And we're going to get there in just a quick moment after a message from our friends over at rockauto.com. Now, look, chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, whereas rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're always reliably low. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest possible prices rather than changing their prices around based on what the market will bear, kind of like what airlines do. They've got everything from engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even brand new carpets. So whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything that you need in just a few easy clicks delivered right to your door. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And this is a really important part. Be sure to write locked on in there. How did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com and we are continuing on here at locked on rockets your daily podcast home for everything houston rockets basketball part of the locked on podcast network your team every single day chatting with rockets legend matt bullard and matt we got I want to start with Bill Worrell because we recently had Bill Worrell on the show and it was hands down one of the best shows we ever did really kind of celebrating his career the end of his career with the Rockets, you know, how how has it been being able to be alongside him, a legend like himself, in the booth for so many years? I think of uh, working with Bill Worrell the same way I think about when I played with Akeem Olajuwon. You know, Akeem Olajuwon was the greatest player to ever put on a Rockets uniform, and he carried the Rockets to two championships. And that's the same way I feel about working with Bill Worrell. Bill Worrell is the Akeem Olajuwon of Houston Rockets TV. And, uh, and I love the podcast that you did with Bill because it really showed you the amount of knowledge, the amount of history 
that Bill Worrell has, uh, you know, spending his entire career here in Houston, starting at the U of H and being on Channel 2 and, and doing Rockets TV and doing Astros baseball, the amount of history that Bill Worrell knows is second to none about, about Houston sports. And so to me, he is the pinnacle of Houston sports broadcasting. And I feel so lucky that I've been able to sit next to him for 16 years and absorb some of that history and that knowledge so that, uh, you know, when he retires, he's retiring, uh, somebody has to carry on that knowledge. You know, somebody has to carry on those stories that Bill has told all of us, and we need to continue to keep that history alive. And, and so I feel like that's sort of part of, uh, you know, your job and my job is to, to learn those things from Bill and continue to, to teach, you know, the younger uh, generations of, of Houston sports fans, you know, what the history was really like. I mean, Bill was talking about how he was at the game of the century in the Astrodome between Lou Alcindor and, uh, and the University of Houston and Elvin Hayes. Bill was there, you know. Bill was there when the Houston Rockets won back-to-back coin flips and got Ralph Sampson and then Akeem Olajuwon. You know, Bill was there when the Rockets won the, the lottery to get Yao Ming. So, you know, uh, the amount of uh, knowledge that he has, such a true professional. Uh, I really enjoyed working with Bill, but mo- most importantly, you know, Bill and I are really close friends. You know, we've really grown to be, uh, you know, best friends. Bill and I were friends when I was a player, you know, and uh, but it was a different relationship when I was a player. But once I you know, got into the booth with him, uh, we really became close, close friends. And so that's one of the things that even though neither one of us will be on Rockets TV next year, uh, <laughs> Bill and I will still be basically sitting next to each other in a golf cart, you know, t- telling stories and having fun. And and uh, and so I really look forward to continuing to have that relationship with Bill. Some of the stories that he shared, you know, the 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 origination of the Dream Shake, the fact that it came from Elijah Wan himself, that was such. It's it was such like almost like a throwaway story, like oh, it just happened in an airport, and Hakeem just kind of casually chimed it in. And I'm like, wow, so that's where that came from. Like, so let me let me give you a little bit more uh, backstory on that. The Dream Shake is is what you know Bill called Dreams moved to the baseline, the little baseline turnaround fadeaway. But we actually had plays called. Uh, and uh, the way Rudy did his plays is like if it was shake one, then that would be for the point guard, for the one. So shake five was shake for Akeem. And shake meant we're going one-on-one. That's the isolation play. We're going to shake five. And so Akeem started practicing his one-on-one moves, and he was like, shake and bake, shake and bake. And I can hear – I can just see Dream in practice talking about the shake and bake. Rudy, Rudy, give me the shake and bake. And so that's where that's where Dream came up with the term shake. And then when Bill and Rudy were talking, uh, when Bill and Akeem were talking about it in the airport, uh, and they came up with the Dream Shake, that's that's how all that originated. So you know, whenever I hear the Dream Shake, I, I think of the play Shake Five. <laughs> I love that. That is amazing. Uh, it just and the fact that it was you know, kind they of never this, ran this... Shake Three. They never ran Shake <laughs> Three for me. You know what? What's up with that? <laughs> I, I feel like Shake 3 was maybe just a branch of Shake 5 where, all right, Hakeem's doing the ISO, and as soon as they send the double, it's like, all right, now now it's Shake 3 for Matt because yeah. now he now gets the wide open three. three. Yeah, There you go, Shoot, shoot 3. <laughs> um, speaking of, you know, we mentioned Rudy T and, and his, you know, impact on this organization and his relationship with Bill and and, and Hakeem and, and yourself. And now the Rockets have a new head coach, right? New head honcho, Steven Silas, just finished his first season as a as an NBA head coach and 
frankly, it was a really, really tough season for Silas. I mean, so many, so many different things that happened across that NBA season that he had to deal with. But Matt, what are some of your takeaways on Silas, you know, after this first campaign that he had? Well, I mean, obviously the the curveballs that he had thrown at him this season were unprecedented. I mean, 43 different starting lineups in 72 games. That's not a that's not a recipe for success. There's no coach that can under that can overcome those types of of injuries and guys being out and trades and bringing guys in on two-way contracts and then towards the end of the season having to bring guys in on hardship contracts because the Rockets just didn't have enough healthy bodies. So what was thrown at Steven Silas was unprecedented. But what I saw from him is that he was able to handle all that, keep his team together. Uh, his team never really got you know, down or upset or, or quit. Everybody on the team can, seemed to really enjoy each other's company. The locker room seemed to be an uh, uh, upbeat, positive place, guys joking around, guys enjoying each other's friendships and, and being teammates together. And all of that stems from the character that Steven Silas has. And what I learned from Rudy T is what you want your team to be as a head coach, you have to embody those characteristics as a head coach. You can't tell somebody what to do. You have to be what you want them to do. So Rudy taught me how to be a, a great pro, how to be a great person, how to be a great teammate. And Coach Silas did the same thing with his group this year, especially those young guys, by just embodying what it means to be a good NBA teammate. And, you know, Stephen, you know, he wasn't like yelling at them. He wasn't, you know, cussing them out. He wasn't, you know, telling them that they were terrible. He was constantly trying to infuse them with positivity and confidence. And the characteristics that's, that Coach Silas embody really came out in the team. Even though there was a ton of losses, I still feel like the Rockets this season took a step forward in their rebuild process because of the way Coach Silas coached them. I think absolutely to everything you said, Matt. And I think one of the you know one of the silver linings is that you know you look at this you know cast of young young players that the Rockets now have under their uh, you know under their development side, and you got kind of essentially the young core you know the four the four names that everybody thinks of: Christian Wood, uh, Jay Sean Tate, Kevin Porter Jr., and KJ Martin, and how those guys have grown and developed this season, which is a testament to the coaching staff that they were able to, you know, in the midst of this, you know, pandemic season, you know, very little practice time, seeing, you know, noticeable growth from each one of those four guys. Matt, who do you think progressed the most out of those four from where they started the year to where they ended? The, the guy who I saw the most growth out of was K.J. Martin. Uh, you know, K.J. came in as a, as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid, Second generation NBA player, which really helps him, I think. You know, his dad, Kenyon Martin, was a was a great player in the NBA in my generation. And so the fact that KJ was around the NBA game growing up, I think really helped him step into the bright lights of the NBA and not be, you know, sh uh, shook by, by the bright lights. But where he started at the beginning of the season to where he ended up his last month, he was averaging double, uh, you know, double figure points you know, eight, nine rebounds, shooting the three ball really well, blocking every seven footer in the NBA. And so, you know, none of that happens if you don't get on the floor. There's no way to get better as a basketball player if you're not playing. And like you said, if there's no practice time, the only way you're getting better is by playing the games. And so, uh, unfortunately, those young players for the Rockets were forced into roles to have to play heavy minutes this year. But the flip side of that is it really helped their development because now they're up to speed for NBA basketball. 
that's one of the that's one of the things that you know as a former player myself nobody really realizes that when you come from college or the G League to the NBA you don't nobody realizes how big that step really is unless you've experienced it it is a massively huge step and and uh, you know everybody who comes from college they were the man on their team they're thinking yeah I'm going to be able to come into the NBA and I'm going to be I'm going to be the man well you come to the NBA in your first practice you realize not only are you not the man, but you're the worst player on the entire team, you know? And so it takes a big amount of adjustment, both mentally and physically to get up to speed in the NBA. And I think, you know, KJ Martin and, uh, and the young core for the Rockets really uh, gained a lot of valuable experience by playing heavy minutes this year. You talk about, you know, coming from college G league, Kevin Porter Jr. was a guy who the Rockets brought in, you know, brought him in from the Cleveland Cavaliers organization by way of a trade, and they sent him down to the G League. And he spent time down there and, you know, was able to, you know, hadn't played, you know, since the end of last season with the shutdown, you know, got himself back in NBA-ready shape, and they gave him a new role, you know, a new identity in this Rockets system where they said, hey, you were a small forward with the Cavaliers, now you're going to be our primary ball handler, and his assists skyrocketed. His court vision, his playmaking was through the roof. What have you liked out of Kevin Porter Jr.? Well, and I think KPJ is a, is a great example of how you're only as good as your coach thinks you are, you know, and in Cleveland, the coaches there thought he was a small forward and, you know, just play off the ball. But when he came to Houston, the, the, the Rockets organization, I don't know if it was coach Silas or if it was Rafael Stone or who it was, or a combination of a bunch of people, but they said, you know what, you're not a small forward. You need to play like James Harden was playing for us. You need to have the ball in your hand. You need to be able to create for yourself and for your teammates. And we're going to send you to the G League and let you learn how to do it. And he went to the G League and they said they gave him the ball and they said, just go play. You know, show us everything you've got. And as a player, that's like Nirvana right there. Like you're telling me I get to do everything. Give me the ball and I get the hoop. And that's what KJ uh, KPJ did is he went to the G League and he just took off. And so when he came back to the Rockets and played the second half of the season with the ball in his hand, I mean, he had some amazing games, uh, a 50 point game, 11 assists. I mean, some of the things that he was doing at his age are unprecedented. So the confidence that they infused in him, not only by what they were telling him, but what they showed him and the responsibility they gave him really helped his growth. Now, the thing about KPJ is he's still very, very young. He's 20 years old. I know what I was like when I was 20. I bet you know what you were like when you were 20. And so oh, don't make me think about it. <laughs> right. So it's important that K, that KPJ continues to grow as a person and as a pro so that uh, all of those great things that we saw on the floor will still be available. And the Rockets don't have any, I mean, the Rockets have John Lucas and there's nobody better in the NBA to teach young players how to be professionals than John Lucas. So to me, that, that gives me a lot of hope that KPJ will be a superstar in this league because he's got the right coaches and the right setup and the right uh, opportunity for his skill set. And I'm really excited to see what he does in his career. Still want to talk a little bit about Christian Wood and Jay Sean Tate, as well as uh, some topics on the NBA draft and just kind of the rebuilding timeline for this version of the Houston Rockets. And we're going to get there after a quick message from our friends over at betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. NBA playoffs are here just 
not for the Rockets, unfortunately, uh, but they've also got NHL coverage, UFC, you name it, they have it over at Bet Online. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. It's time to get in on the action and use promo code Locked On when you sign up at their website for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code Locked On, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And final segment here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today on our road to the finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Chatting with Rockets legend, Matt Bullard. Now, Matt, when it comes to Jay Sean Tate, We saw so many impressive highlights out of him, and a lot of them were defensive highlights. Do you think there's a chance that he at least scratches the surface of a defensive team in his career or maybe even, you know, defensive player of the year down the line for him? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I was so impressed by Jay Shantae when he came to the NBA because the route that he took was not the normal route. You know, after college, he ended up going to Belgium to play for a year, and then he went to Australia to play for a year. And I played in Greece one year in the middle of my NBA uh, career. And so I know what it's like to play in different leagues around the world. I know what it feels like to be the man on those teams. When I went to Greece and Jay Sean Tate felt the same thing when he went to Belgium and Australia, you are the best player on the floor and you are expected to carry your team to a win every single night. And that uh, by definition makes you a better player because you have to, you have to, come up to that responsibility. You have to fill that responsibility. So when Jay Sean was playing professionally in other leagues, his game was getting better because he was, he was forced to do everything. And when I was playing in Greece, I was forced to do everything and it made me a better player. So when I came back to the NBA, I, I could do a lot more things on the floor. And that made me, you know, that made me better. And that's what we saw with Jay Sean Tate is defensively. He is relentless. Uh, I think the most important thing to to realize about Jay Sean Tate is his mentality is what makes him great. He is relentless. He doesn't quit. He doesn't back down. He plays hard every single possession. His motor is second to none. And so uh, by definition, he's going to be a good player. But what we saw defensively is is not the surprising thing. What I saw from him is offensively, uh, he's got great post moves, which he had in college, but as a point forward, which the Rockets, you know, put him in towards the end of the season, just out of necessity, he was really, really good. So I feel like that's how he was playing in Australia as kind of a point forward. And now with the Rockets, you got to do the same thing. And he was already ready for that. So uh, I, I think the sky's the limit for Jay Sean Tate. I know a lot of people have been calling him sort of a mini Draymond Green. Uh, I think he has that same defensive ability, but I think he's going to be a far better offensive player than Draymond Green. You know, Draymond's a great passer, but can't really shoot. I think Jay Sean Tate can be a great passer, but I think his three-point shot is also going to be far better than Draymond's. I think there's also there's something to be said for his inside game too, right? I mean, think about all the all the different pivots that we watched, right? You know, he gets inside the paint and he's going to get to that left hand, doesn't matter who's on him. He's going to find a way to get to that left hand and finish, whether it's over a bigger defender or a smaller guy. And a lot of that comes from, right, he spent time, you know, growing up playing as a guard, then he played as a forward in college. And then that final year in college, he was forced to play center out of necessity due to injuries. And so a guy like that who's played basically all five positions, has it's really lended itself to his versatility 
on the basketball court, which is what we're seeing, you know, or what we were seeing on a nightly basis for the Rockets. But I, I guess sort of technically saving the best for last with Christian Wood. But, you know, Matt, coming into the season, there were some very lofty expectations placed on Christian Wood, right? He had that 12-game sample size with the Detroit Pistons where he was putting up some impressive numbers. And there were a lot of, you know, people who, you know, some haters out there really saying, well, can he actually do it? Can he produce? Can he do it, you know, over the course of an entire season? And granted, he had the ankle injury in there, missed some substantial time this season. But he absolutely delivered on what was, you know, what he was billed as coming into the Houston Rockets, right? Yeah, absolutely. And to me, I I love watching Christian Wood play because – I see myself in him. We're both 6'10". We're both slender. We both have long arms. We both can shoot threes. And so what Christian is showing me is what our body type can really do in today's NBA. And, and he's not just a spot-up shooter. He's not just a, you know, a one-dimensional player. He showed that he can, he can put the ball on the floor. He can post. He's got a nice inside game. He can block shots. He can rebound. He can pass. And so I felt like in my career – when I got to be 25 years old is when I finally hit my plateau of where I was at my best from like 25 to 29 or 30 is when I felt like I was at my peak of my powers. And I feel like Christian Wood is the same is in the same position where it's taken him a while to get up to speed in the NBA because of his body type, not, you know, not quite being strong enough to compete in the NBA, but he is now. And at 25 years old, he's finally reached you know, the plateau or the pinnacle of his, of his powers. And so I think for the next five or six years, Christian Wood is going to be a real force in this league. And so I love watching him. You know, I, I put him in with the same, you know, like Kevin Durant's got the same sort of body type. And so for me as an old guy, now looking, looking at these young guys playing, it's really fun to see what they're doing on the NBA floor and, and really showing me what our body type can do. Now, Matt, we've got the NBA draft right around the corner and another coin flip that's going to be very important in in Rockets history, uh, whether or not they retain uh, a top four pick this season or if it falls to number five and it conveys to the Oklahoma City Thunder by way of the uh, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook trade a couple years back. In this draft, if the Rockets say, you know, they land... I, you know, clear-cut Cade Cunningham is the consensus number one prospect. Anybody who gets the number one pick is going to be picking Cade Cunningham. I don't even think that's up for debate. But let's pretend for a moment Rockets are number two overall pick. Who is your second favorite prospect in this draft and why? I would I would take Jalen Suggs with the second pick. The reason why is because he has a, a very good all-around game. I feel like he would fit with what the Rockets are trying to do. Suggs can shoot the ball. He can handle the ball and create for his teammates. He's a good passer, but he's also probably the best defender out of those, uh, you know, top four or five guys, in my opinion, as well. And I think that's what the Rockets are trying to get towards is being a really tough defensive team, a team that's really hard to score on, and then playing modern, efficient offensive basketball in Steven Silas's uh, model, you know, with the ball movement and the space the five-out type of stuff. But to me, Jalen Suggs defensively can come in and make a difference right away in the NBA. And if you think about, uh, you know, the Rockets having good defenders, we already talked about Jay Sean Tate, and and, uh, Christian Wood can defend his position as long as it's not against big bookie guys. And John Wall's a good defender, and and David Nwaba and Sterling Brown. And, and, uh, uh, you know, those types of guys are the guys that I think fit what the Rockets are trying to do. So I think Jalen Suggs could come in and not be lost defensively. He could still make an impact defensively while he's getting up to speed uh, on the offensive end. 
So he's the guy that I think would fit best with the Rockets' uh, current roster. And of course, that's a uh, you know put the asterisk there because who knows what the Rockets' roster will look like by the by the start of next season. There's a lot of different pathways that they can take. That they can you know uh, every decision that you make puts you on a different path. And so the the long the farther you can extrapolate how that path is going to look with those decisions, the better those decisions are going to be. So I feel like. Uh, currently, as the Rockets are constructed, I think Jalen Suggs would be the best pick for them at, this, at number two. Speaking of those different pathways, you know, the, the question burning at the forefront of a lot of people's minds is, you know, when is this team going to be competitive again? When are they going to be, you know, quote unquote, done with the rebuild or, or back, you know, at least, you know, in, in the midst of trying to sniff the playoffs, that kind of thing. This was... Matt, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember a team ever being the worst team in the NBA that looked as good as this team did. They weren't your prototypical worst team in the NBA or bottom three team. They went out there and they made opposing teams, playoff caliber teams, work every single night because this team is not a reflection of their record. They have a really nice culmination of talent. And I want to get your idea, you know, ideas on what the realistic rebuilding timeline kind of looks like for for this team. You know, are they, you know, with this current cast of guys, this young core, are they capable of maybe making a push for the playoffs within the next, you know, couple years, or is it a little bit further down the line, or even as early as next season? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, you know, I, I think back to when Sam Hinkie was in the Rockets front office uh, working for Daryl Morey, and then remember Sam went and took the job with the 76ers. And totally stripped that entire franchise down to the studs. Uh, you know, he was trusting the process. And, uh, and, and now you see where the 76ers are now, right? So that long process of being terrible for a long time and building through the draft, it, 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 it does work, but it takes a long time. And I feel like the Rockets are going to be able to uh, short circuit that long process because of the moves that they made already this season. You know, they got their core four young guys that we've already talked about. Uh, they have some opportunities to, to keep some veteran players that would really help the development. Uh, like Kelly Olenek is one guy who really helped the development of the young players while also producing on the floor. So I feel like the Rockets don't have to go, uh, you know, all the way down to the bottom for years and years and years to get better. I feel like they've already got a jump start on the rebuild. Now, I don't think the Rockets are going to be a playoff team next season. They still have to, you know, there's still some, some moves that they need to make on their roster. They still got to, you know, uh, you know, find some other players that fit. The young guys still have to grow up some more. Uh, you're not, you can't expect a guy to be a rookie one year and be a, a champion, you know, the second year. The only guy I know about that is uh, Sam Cassell, who came in as a rookie and a, as a second-year player got rings back-to-back years. It's very rare. So I don't think the Rockets, uh, you know, would be a, a, a playoff-caliber team next year, and that's not a bad thing because the next two drafts, the Rockets – control their own first round picks. So even though that sort of gives the Rockets an incentive to be bad, to get a high pick, I don't think the Rockets uh, necessarily need to tank, but I think just as, just as an organic uh, rebuilding process, I don't think the Rockets will be uh, playoff caliber next year, but it'll be another step forward in their, in their uh, quest to get back to being playoff caliber. And then similar to the Boston Celtics uh, of, you know, the current version of the Boston Celtics, you know, they are going to have the Brooklyn Nets picks for the next, you know, better part of the next decade. And so they don't necessarily have to, you know, be at the bottom of the barrel, the bottom of the trash heap to continue getting, you know, high picks because conceivably 
the back end of those Brooklyn net picks are going to convey and and be, you know, probably more than likely some pretty solid picks to be able to add some more youth and some exciting prospects to an already established core to continue the longevity of a team that wants to be competitive year in and year out. Absolutely. And and those picks don't necessarily need to be players that end up on your roster. The Rockets have a massive amount of flexibility with all of those picks, with some of the with some of the uh, contracts they already have on their roster. Uh, they have some players at very team-friendly contracts. They have some some players at very team-unfriendly contracts. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to be, hey, we're picking this guy and we're putting him on our team, and, and that's it. The Rockets have a huge amount of flexibility to use all of these assets that they have to make trades. And if you think back to how the Houston Rockets got James Harden, the Rockets had the right amount of assets for when that opportunity presented itself they could put those assets into a trade and get a, a generational talent like James Harden. And so I think that's what you sort of have to keep your flexibility on the roster so that when that opportunity happens again, you're ready to jump at it. Now, Matt, last question here for you. And this one's, I know the fan base is kind of, you know, split both ways on this one, but are you rooting for James Harden and the Brooklyn Nets, you know, in the playoffs? You know, why, why not? Yes, I am rooting for James Harden and the Brooklyn Nets and Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash and Kevin Durant in the playoffs. Uh, uh, Kevin Durant's been one of my favorite players since he came into the league. Mike D'Antoni is one of my favorite guys that I've ever been around. I learned so much from Mike in his four years here. I still talk with him all the time. Uh, Steve Nash is a guy that I have really respected for a long, long time. Not only the, the way he played, but just the way he carries himself. Uh, his example of how to be a, a good person. And so I am rooting for the Brooklyn Nets this year to win it all. I think James is a, is a once-in-a-generation basketball player. We were talking about this the whole time when James Harden was in a Rockets uniform. He's the most efficient scorer in NBA history. What he does is otherworldly. We really enjoyed it when we were watching uh, Houston Rockets basketball. The one drawback is the way he forced his way out uh, still hurts. Still hurts my heart. You know, I'm, I'm – 25 years as a Houston Rocket, I bleed Rocket red. The way he forced his way out really hurt me, but I can forgive. And uh, so I am, I am pulling for those guys to win it. It's, uh, you know, it will also validate if the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets can win the championship. It will also validate Mike D'Antoni's uh, vision for how NBA basketball should look. Remember, Steve Nash played for Mike D'Antoni in Phoenix. And now Mike D'Antoni is an assistant with Steve Nash in Brooklyn. And the offense that they're putting out there, I mean, how do you guard it? You know, I mean, it's amazing to watch those guys play. Now, they don't have very good defense, but I don't see any other team in the NBA that can outscore them. It's definitely going to be an interesting playoff run, and I'm in the same boat as you, Matt. It took me a little while to get there, maybe a little bit longer than others, but I would very much like to see James Harden win a ring as well as Mike D'Antoni because at the end of the day, you're right, it would validate so much of what took place here in Houston You know, across the eight years of James Harden's tenure, but specifically that four-year window with Mike D'Antoni as the Rockets head coach and the Rockets coming so close you know, in the Western Conference Finals that one year, we like to say it all the time, a hamstring away from a finals appearance and I I don't know about you, but I will be insufferable on social media if James Harden and the Nets win a title. I People are going to have to block me left and right because I will not rest. I will not sleep until everybody has heard the, the gospel of one James Harden. Isn't it interesting how you and I and you know all of us Rockets fans have been, have been screaming at the top of our lungs, James Harden is 
one of the greatest players of our generation. Watch how he's playing. It's amazing what he's doing. And all these other national pundits are saying, oh, he's selfish. He doesn't pass. And now he's with the Brooklyn Nets, and they're all like, man, this guy's awesome. And we're, you and me were like saying, yeah, we know. We've been saying it for eight years. So... Yeah, well, you know what happened is he, he he left Houston and his game changed. It became completely different. He he became a completely yeah, different right. player. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it shows you how many shows you that the national pundits were not watching Houston Rockets basketball. Come on, man. They were not. They were they were fishing for clicks. And now at, at least now they get to appreciate the greatness that is James Harden. But Matt, really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. Anything you want to tell Rockets fans before we get you out of here? Well, I, I love you, Rockets fans. Uh, you've been a huge part of my life, uh, you know, 25 years as a Houston Rocket. Uh, I hope to continue, uh, you know, as a Houston Rocket uh, in some form or fashion. Uh, we'll see. There's a lot, a lot of moving parts. Uh, I've got a lot of choices to make in my life going forward for my next chapter. and We'll see where it all ends up. And I'm excited about uh, what's coming in, in my career. And, uh, and like I said, Jackson, you guys will be the first ones to find out when that happens. Matt, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to talk basketball with you. Thanks, Jackson. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.